I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real-life experiences and the tools they developed to move forward and live their best life. I'm Jenny Taylor. And I'm Michelle Scharf. Today we have with us Nicole Martin. She is a friend of mine, and uh, we've done some fun little things together. We traveled to Peru. We're heading to Belize uh, in August. Um, She is just... She is a little package and a whole ton of fun. (laughs) That's a good way to preface. I think a nice way of saying she's a little crazy, but we're going to have a little fun. So, all right. I think my kids could say that about me, but I'm not little. So I'll go ahead and just just own up to that. The best part of that introduction was, frankly, the the use of the word little. Let's stop there. I like that. We'll just be good there. We're excited to have you today and to learn with you. Uh, For our listeners who are listening, this is part of a three podcast series discussing the topic of Alzheimer's. We had kind of our kickoff was a little bit of an overview and and what the disease is, what caregivers caregivers might face, where they can reach out for resources in, in helping their loved one. But today you're here to share with us a little more personal view into what this disease is. Yep. I am. And I, I maybe want to start, I take a step back because um, I think my hardest trial is really in losing so many of what I would kind of call the, the core individuals in my life, those who had anchored my life in kind of a relatively short time. So I'll get to my mom's passing from Alzheimer's, but, but really uh, I was a kind of a, a daughter in a small family. My parents were divorced when I was three. Um, And so I grew up largely uh, being kind of my mom's partner in crime. My older sister moved with my dad at one point. And so it was the two of us so much of the time. She was a single mom that entire time. Uh, And so I became, yes, her daughter, and she was a fantastic mom, but we were also the best of friends, even when we were young. And so many fun memories of us uh, developing a really kind of unique and life-lasting friendship, which is why when I started to lose her to Alzheimer's, the one person in my life that mattered the most, um, it was the hardest trial. But what preceded that was my older sister um, sadly passed away from lung cancer in February of 2017. Oh my goodness. And this was... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I'm just so sorry. I didn't know that either. I'm so sorry to hear that. And, you know, again, a small family. And so we were, she, my mom and my dad had two daughters. So uh, Lori was my 
oldest sister. And then in a a successive marriage, I had a, uh, they had another daughter. And so Tiffany was the sister that I had left at this point. Um, My sister's passing was after my dad had suffered, suffered a heart attack uh, and his mind and body had never, and to this day have never completely recovered. And so he feels in many respects gone to me, certainly the dad that I knew. Um, and then of course, at my sister's funeral, this was sort of the situation I wanted to paint at the start of this was, you know, after giving my sister's life sketch, uh, and trying to hold it together, I hugged my mom who at this point was in the throes of Alzheimer's. And I just had to chuckle a little bit as she looked around the room with her happy face and said, it's just so fun to see everybody here. Because of course she had no idea that it was her daughter's funeral that had brought us all together. And I thought at that moment, blissful ignorance uh, in this moment is the only gift that Alzheimer's will ever give me because it has certainly taken everything else from me. Yep. Oh my goodness. Wow. Oh man. That's huge. So can you tell us what, let's back up, tell us your mom's journey. Uh, was it sudden onset? Did you notice it? Was it was it gradual or maybe something you kind of tried to brush aside at first? Tell us how you came you know, to discover her her disease. I, I will, and I'll share with you a little bit just about who she is, uh, just so you can understand her and me, frankly. Um, you know, at her funeral, one of the highlights for me was to be able to raise uh, a, a paper, a colored paper teacup and give my mom a final uh, fairy tea party toast with everybody holding a teacup and all of us drinking apple juice. It was a ridiculously fun moment that was so much who she is and who I was because in the worst of times, she found joy and frivolity and silliness. And it was such a way to honor her. And I tell you that because um, so much of what I think may have been early warning signs of Alzheimer's were just so much, uh, I think, attributed to her quirky personality. And, you know, uh, forget it, you know, forgetting things would be just her being busy. And I am that way, too. And, and so, yes, I think a lot of what we might have recognized as early signs, you uh, push off as other things. And, and frankly, we had a roadmap before us. There was no reason not to feel this. And, and she did. I mean, um, her dad passed away of Alzheimer's. And so, you know, that was her biggest fear was that she would develop Alzheimer's. And so it was the specter uh, that has lived in our family for as long as I can remember. I remember taking my grandpa to uh, a home. I remember him crying and asking not to be left there. So Alzheimer's has been in my mind as long as I can remember and my mom's as well. And so when she started to show signs um, and when she knew, more importantly, the last thing the last thing she wanted to do was attach the label of Alzheimer's to it. And so she honestly was never diagnosed. It was too hard for her to have that be um, a diagnosis in black and white. It was something we knew. It was something we accepted. But it was not something... Uh, that we wanted to talk about because she was scared and we understood and we were scared. Yeah. Well, you know, 
So that kind of goes along with what we just spoke about in a previous podcast with Raven, who is the program director at the Alzheimer's Association. Denial is a big part of this disease, and it's a huge beginning point of this disease. They do say that there's a lot of things that we can do to help our brains, um, you know, be better off to to, to yeah. kind of stave off this disease. And of course, there are a lot of advances in Alzheimer's research that um, for medications and stuff like that to help delay the onset and, and the uh, veracity of this disease. There's not a cure yet, but um, I'm certainly hoping that there is in our lifetime because I don't want this. Jenny doesn't want it and you don't want it. And I don't want any of my friends to have to have it. Um, well, and, and that's the challenge of it, right? Is it yeah. even as I'm grieving and that's the sadness of it. This is not a, this is not a grief that happens at her passing. This was a grief that started in 2015. You know, yeah. this is a long suffering grief that hits you at the hardest times while they're still alive. Right. Uh, so you're grieving their loss uh, little by little. Um, and then when they finally go, it's almost as if you grieve it all again. Uh, it's, it's very, very challenging. And then all the while, uh, insert the the kind of uh, fear that you have in your own mind that what you are grieving is, in fact, a screening of what your life is going to look like, a, a preview of what, you know, someone is going to have to do for you. And that's really horrible thought to have. Uh, and just as Jenny, as you pointed out, that is just not the way any of us want to go to lose the vital memories that we've spent a lifetime creating and should be the one thing that we have left and can smile about at the end of the day. It, it just, for me, has to be the cruelest disease of all. I, I agree. I agree with you a hundred percent. It's interesting. It, i Two of my grandparents that passed away in my uh, teen and young adult years on different sides of the family. My mother's mother, she was only 60. She got up that morning. She maybe had breakfast or a snack or something, sat down in her recliner chair to read, dozed off, and just never woke up. And and then my grandfather on my father's side, who lived well into his 80s, a, a long, productive, difficult life, and yet he suffered with dementia at the end and and such a stark contrast to where my grandmother was gone too soon 60 so young and yet it was so quick and so peaceful and then my grandfather who lived you know 20 20 plus more years the other grandfather and yet the the deterioration not only of his body but of his mind and the weight that that brought I know to my aunt to to my family members who were closer to him and providing that care and the assistance that he needed as they saw his memory go and his personality change. Um, Nicole, can you take us back to 2015? You mentioned that was maybe the beginning of this battle or at least what you knew of this battle. Yeah, I think that's when you started to recognize um, that clearly this was not something that you could toss off as just, you know, lack of sleep, that it was, you were seeing patterns as she lived in this small town her entire life and was finding herself getting lost doing errands that she had done, you know, a thousand times before mm -hmm. she was forgetting key things. And what I noticed too was her the way that she would compensate. So it was, it was so hard for me to recognize in her that she knew 
what those failures were, but she was so scared that she was trying to cover it up. And so she would use certain mannerisms, um, you know, diversions. So if you asked her a question and she clearly did not either understand it or know the answer, you know, she would try these methods of, um, you know, diverting the conversation to avoid this kind of awkwardness that I'm sure and, and scary feeling of having nothing, having a void where something used to be there. I can't imagine how frightening that would be. And then for me, I think where it just became so apparent that she was gone, uh, that the mom that I knew was really gone at that point was I had invited her to join us for Christmas. Um, and she had come and I, I hadn't seen her. She lived in Pocatello. I lived in Utah. And of course, life intrudes and you never get to see the people you love as much as you want. And so I had specifically invited her here. And I watched her in a number of circumstances, not having been around her on a day-to-day basis, all of a sudden, the weight of the Alzheimer's became very apparent and what it had already taken from her while I wasn't looking, so to speak. Um, You know, we would give her presents and she would not open them. I would continue to hand her presents and she, she, it's like she didn't know what to do. She no longer knew what this sort of holiday celebration involved. Uh, I I sat sat with her and went through her stocking with her. And please understand, my mom was the queen of Christmases. For a single mom that had no money, she managed to make Christmas a magical experience every single year. Stockings were a whole hour-long affair, uh, you know, every intricately wrapped uh, jewelry and and everything you could imagine. It, It was such a fun experience to open that stocking. And so I was trying to create the Christmas experience for her that she had done so many years for me. And what I realized was I had waited too long. I had waited a year or two too long to give her that because she was gone at that point. You know, I I remember um, things that you recognize with Alzheimer's. Um, I had gotten her a couple of new shirts. Um, and she would put them on and then she'd be gone and she would be back wearing the same kind of dirty shirt um, that she'd come with because that's an Alzheimer's thing, right? I mean, that's a comfort, it's a comfort thing for them. And for her, uh, the black shirt was something that she had kept over from her mom. And so as the um, world of the person suffering Alzheimer's shrinks, um, they find comfort in, you know, these, these things like for her, it was a black shirt. And so that is pretty much what I saw her in uh, those last years, because that was what made her comfortable. And so that Christmas experience was me understanding that now it was about me just loving her. And not expecting that um, much was left. Oh. Nicole, how old was she in that 2015 Christmas? 
Uh, now you did not tell me that math was going to be perfect. Well, ish. Ish. Uh, I, I mean, was she, was she sixties? Was she eighties? I'm just trying to picture this. <laughs> Jenny always makes us do math. We, we I know. Right. Sorry, Jenny. Those, I'm also trying to. And I'm, I'm going to let you laugh for a minute. We've been crying, so now we're going to like reset the tone. We'll take a break here. You think about the math. We'll take a break when you come back. Tell us about how old your mom was when she got Alzheimer's. I'm just trying to put a frame around it. That's all, you guys. Don't make fun of me and my math loving. Okay, we'll be right back. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to... Give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Nicole, how old was your sweet mom when you'd realized maybe you'd waited a year or two too long to find out that she now was battling the disease Alzheimer's? Well, despite what your teacher told you back in school, you do have a calculator ready, and I have used it to do the math here. So call a friend. Call a my friend. mom was my mom was sixty nine in twenty fifteen, so very young still. And by, and, yeah. and by then, you said you were probably already a couple of years into it, maybe having not fully recognized what it was oh, yeah. she was facing. Okay. Yeah, looking looking back now, easily I would say that you know, as I look back in retrospect, I think about you know some a couple of her last jobs for instance, and how much she struggled trying to learn the information. And, you know, we attributed it to her not having a lot of tech savvy, which, by the way, I clearly inherited from her. Um, <laughs> but I also just think her mind uh, was losing things, uh, much less being able to bring anything new in. And so I, I think, again, it was much sooner than we realized, but certainly by 2015, um, she she was largely gone, but I do want to reiterate that some of the highlights for me in those kind of ensuing years was the fact that Alzheimer's, while it took her memories and it took her silliness and her, um, you know, her, her fun and, and all of the amazing things that were her, and she was a truly amazing human being. Uh, I say that as a daughter, of course, but I also just say that as one who recognizes that there are those amongst us who just are better than the rest of us. And she was one of those. Uh, She just lived on a higher plane. Um, And so, you know, to be able to have her um, in my life just just really mattered to me. And uh, and I appreciated that gift. That is that is so young. I think sometimes, you know, when I was younger, 69 sounded, it might have been 150 years. But I think of it now, I'm 41. My baby is three. I will be about your mother's age when she started to battle Alzheimer's when my baby is, you know, graduating high school and getting into college and, and, mm-hmm. and some of those things. And not not long after she's left my home, 
So can you tell us what that journey then looks like? I love how you said you knew then you just now need to love mom. Beautiful. What does it look like day to day? I know you love her, but what, what are the challenges and the struggles that come from loving someone with Alzheimer's as they're deteriorating? You know, I think for me, it was forcing myself to have interaction with her. And that sounds horrible. And I want to explain it because understand that I went through all of that conflicting emotion as well, because you know, you have limited time. You know that you will beat yourself up for not taking that time. You also know that when you take that time, it will be the worst time of of your week. You know, it won't be, it won't feel good. It will, uh, you'll ha- I had to steal myself for those moments. I had to, um, fake happiness. I had to, uh, try not to cry in front of her. And then I had to recover. Um, and so you get to the point where you think, what am I getting from this? And what am I losing from this? And yet, fundamentally, it's your mom. And so what kind of person are you to not want to be around her? And so it's all of these conflicting emotions that now you're, you know, you're feeling guilty. Yeah. And so in answering your question, what I came to was when I was around her, what I could still feel was love. And I knew that she didn't know who I was. She had no idea, but I knew that she knew that I loved her and she knew that she loved me. And I still on my phone have a little video um, of her in that kind of last year. I'd taken her out to lunch and, you know, a gibberish. I mean, we were talking gibberish and then all of a sudden she touched my cheek and she told me how beautiful I was. Oh, and I will always keep it. And again, that's what I knew was Alzheimer's could take everything, but that kind of nugget of love that just never extinguishes. It is really interesting because there are these moments that are so beautiful where you're like, oh, there they are. It's like you get a window back to your person, but then it's gone. But it's a fleeting moment. It's It's very fleeting. Yeah. And it, and and they're far and few between. I mean, they don't happen every time you you interact with them, but it's such a gift when it does happen. Yeah. And I never truly felt like I got her back for a moment of clarity. I never did feel that. I know that happens for some and I wanted it. And so I think I also always felt a little cheated to, you know, you, you go, I love setting up my perfect fairy tales. Again, my mom was such a lover of fairy tales and I was raised on them and, and her happily ever after was all she was ever looking for. And so in that spirit, you know, I would go and visit her in the hopes that, that I would have that sort of dream moment where, you know, I, she would break through and we could have, I could see the, you know, the, the eyes clear and I would know she was there. So I never did have that. But like I said, I did feel the love. And so while the, you know, while the haze never left her eyes, I could feel the love. And for me, uh, that was enough. And so it was trying to spend time with her, Jenny. It was trying to preserve moments uh, with her, trying to honor her. And that's kind of where the mother daughter photo shoot came in was my opportunity to honor this woman 
who was and will always be the most important person in my life. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about that. Did you say mother-daughter photo shoot? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I had mentioned earlier that my sister passed away from cancer. And I mentioned as well that my mom was a single mom. And so we were a small little family, a small little nomadic family that moved around. And so there was a closeness between initially my mom, my older sister and I, and then when my mom remarried, my younger sister. But, you know, we were moving around a lot. And so... You know, to be able to, um, oh, I just lost my train of thought. The mother-daughter photo shoot, you're telling oh, thank us you, how you, you lost, you lost your okay, sister. Okay, this is so, 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 okay, there you, thank you. As I lose my memory during a talk about Alzheimer's, <laughs> okay. how perfect yeah. and ideal. Um, yes, thank you. That's okay, I shoot. think I was off on my math right now after you guys just made fun of me for asking about math and then I did the math. <laughs> anyway, it just shows that sometimes... Sometimes life takes your basic brain function away for a moment. But I, I think that's important to note that in Alzheimer's, that is what makes it go undetected sometimes for quite a while is there are certain quirks to our brain or quirks to being so busy or life being so chaotic that that you might think, oh, it's just this or, oh, it's that or, oh, I can't remember because I, you know, pregnancy brain or I just mm-hmm. lost lost my spouse and so my brain's not functioning or I'm going through a lot of stress at work and yet you've you've discovered that a kind of memory loss that isn't reversible and it's not fleeting, but it's, it's more permanent. So you've got this great opportunity to do a photo shoot with your mom. Tell us about that. And I want to get back to your point you're making about sort of this, you know, I say it in jest, this forgetfulness, but we all know, and we've touched on it, that that is really the biggest anxiety uh, of, of seeing her pass from Alzheimer's is again, just, me getting it so we, yeah. well, we have fun with it we we make fun of it but it is in fact and yet it's terrifying thing. right it's terrifying absolutely so mother-daughter shoot thank you for reminding me um yeah so again having lost my older sister and I just happened on the talents of a woman who had who had done photo shoots and so you know just came to my mind that perhaps that might be something and it was one of those situations where you go for a day and they, of course, make you look glamorous. And then you take these, uh, you know, these memorable shots. And so I was hesitant to do it. I had reached out to my mom's uh, husband and he felt like, you know, again, she wouldn't really be in a place where this would be good for her. And I mentioned Alzheimer's shrinks your world. And so when when she traveled there towards the end until we realized that was just no longer a possibility, it would scare her. So that Christmas that I mentioned that she was at my house, she's surrounded by people that love her. Uh, to her, it feels like strangers. And so she's scared. And so she called him a lot wanting to come home. So when broaching this idea of the photo shoot, he, of course, is thinking, I'm not sure she's able to be out and amongst, you know, uh, kind of strange people not knowing what's going on. Long and short, we decided to do it. And I have never been more happy about a decision in my entire life. That day and the thousands of times that I have watched the video after that and looked at the pictures um, have been a saving grace for me. And again, her eyes didn't clear um, as much as I would have liked. And I can see the effects of Alzheimer's. I can see bits of her confusion in it. But what I remember was a day where I got to make her look pretty. I got to take care of her. I got to honor 
the thing that mattered most to her, which was her kids. Um, and we had, of course, Lori, my oldest sister, who had passed, was represented by a necklace that we were all wearing that was love written in her handwriting. And so it was a moment of celebrating the only thing that we could control in the midst of, you know, losing a sister and having a dad that's no longer mentally where he was and, you know, having a mom that we had already really lost was to celebrate this moment of love and to capture it in photos and film. And it has been so comforting to me. I remember when you did that and when you posted it on your social media feed and I just thought, oh, you could just see the love between the two of you. And it was so beautiful. I hope you'll share some of those with us so that we can share them with our listeners because I'm I'm eager to see them and I know those who are, are listening are as well. What a treasure. What a treasure to have oh, that. Bless. Even... And and it's interesting because I bet if I look at the pictures, I probably won't see the confusion and the cloud that you see in your mother's eyes. You know, where you, you knew her so well. I, I wonder if a stranger would notice that to the degree that you would. I know it would be interesting and I would be happy to share that, Jenny. And, and again, I would encourage anybody. I mean, if, if I had a takeaway, it was like, that was one of those things I did right. You know, yeah. we don't do everything right when we're losing somebody. Uh, by a long shot. But that was one of those things that I did right. And I'm proud of it. And, you know, I'm glad that I didn't let the cost of it or the logistical challenges of it deviate me from uh, the course that that I now, like I said, uh, will be a treasure for generations to come. So we're going to put in a shameless plug for take more pictures. Whoever's listening, whoever you love, no matter how long you think you are going to live, take more pictures. My kids make fun of me because I take selfies of me with them all the time. But it's because I'm grateful my husband took a lot of pictures and and things with the kids. And I look back, I lost my dad at a young age. I have maybe a handful of photos where we're even in the picture, even photos of him total. I mean, the the 80s, it's not like we had cell phones running around in our hands. So take more pictures. And more video. And more More video. Capture what you can capture because long after they are gone... That can last. That can last for your children, your grandchildren, generations. So, shameless plug for document your life. You almost everyone listening right now has some smartphone in their hand, almost twenty four seven. Take pictures. Don't wait for the perfect moment. But if you get a chance for the perfect moment, like Nicole and her mom said, then if you can find a way to afford it or have a friend help you make that possible, do that. Capture that. You. You don't realize how much your own memories will fade, even though you think you'll never forget. You'll never forget their voice. You'll never forget what they looked like or or anything. Capture it. Use yeah. the technology yeah. we have to capture it as much as you can. Anyway, that's my that's my side yeah. plug. We're gonna take one it's quick so important. one more quick break and then come back and Nicole, if you'll tell us what, what you've learned and continue to learn about your journey with resilience in in facing what you face and continue to face in your life. We'll be right back. All right, Nicole, teach us what does resilience look like to you? Um, What maybe have you learned about resilience that you might not have known five or six, seven years ago before your mom's diagnosis? And how does that resilience continue to carry you through what you face in your life now? And I appreciate your program. I appreciate the question because I love that there's an exit 
to the sadness. And I, I feel, and I think that is a message everybody needs to hear is there is eventually an exit. I remember um, so much being in the darkness and, and wondering if there would be an exit. Yeah. I, I am traditionally, historically is a better word, a happy person. And in fact, the role that I played for my mom as a single busy working mom who had the world on her shoulders, uh, but somehow managed to pretend that she didn't was to be what she called her sunshine. Uh, And all of a sudden I looked and found that I had become a person that I didn't even know anymore. You know, when did melancholy become my new normal? Um, the fact that it pairs well with black and makes me 10 pounds lighter is, you know, an aside. But the point, <laughs> the point here was Melvin it wasn't Carly me. pairs well with black. I love that. <laughs> you know, but it wasn't, it wasn't me. And, and I wanted to be her sunshine again. If nothing else, I wanted to make her proud. I mean, this was a woman who really lived a life of regret, never really got any of the dreams that mattered to her, the happily ever after, and yet still managed to choose joy. And I saw it. I knew how unhappy she was with the way her life had gone. And I knew that outwardly looking at her, you would never know because she chose joy. And that was when I decided that I would choose joy, that I would burst out of this kind of darkness that I had cocooned myself in and that recovery was my responsibility. And yes, I didn't have her anymore and that sucked. And my life is not the same, Um, not nearly as full, um, not as fun, but that doesn't mean that I can't do what she did. And that is to create a life of wonderment out of what I'm given. Um, It seems so ironic to me that uh, my sister passed away when she was 49 and I am in my 49th year. So it's the only time I'll ever admit my age, by the way. Um, (laughs) But for me, it seems a significant year. Um, When I turn 50 in March, I will have reached a milestone that my sister did not. And I am going to do that in a way in which my mom would be proud. And that is to live, um, you know, live silly, live happy, um, to just do things that matter, to be in the moment. And it's, yes, in some respects, it's checking off a box, like going to Belize with crazy Michelle. But it's also, <laughs> but, but it's also, you know, meeting new people and, and connecting with new souls. Because, you know, I will tell you the last words that my sister spoke to me were of, the people she loved and the experiences she would never have with them. And that is all that matters at the end of the day. Yep. You know, my mom loved in a little, in a little tribute to my mom. I have to, I have to do this. She loved Elvis, loved Elvis. As a result, I love Elvis. Um, He did a a really great song called my way, you know, and it talks Mm -hmm. about the way you choose to live your life. And I love one of the lines in there where he says, you know, regrets I've had a few. Haven't we all had a few, but when you look at the grand scale of your life, uh, it is beautiful and we make it beautiful every single day when we choose to do so, or we can wallow. And while wallowing is a place that is safe uh, to be, it's just really no way to live your life. It's not. And so there's no growth in that, right? No, no. It's just misery there. And so, 
you know, for me, uh, it was just choosing to be the daughter that my mom would have wanted me to be. And, and that's helped me. But that's been, you know, again, that's been a learning process. And I'm still going to take a long time to, get to the point uh, where I ever feel like I am recovered. I don't know that that's the word. But what I will say is I am learning and I am growing. And she would be proud of what I've taken away from her loss. Absolutely. I remember when this all started to happen and I was in the process of losing John. You were sharing some things online, but it, but you weren't completely uh, open with everything, but you could kind of see the stages of things happening. The biggest takeaway I noticed is um, Nicole was my respite on social media. So she is a sassy, funny, sarcastic, and she has the best meme collection. <laughs> I don't know where she finds this stuff, but she it's hilarious. And she... She just, she's funny and she likes humor and um, early in the stages of John being sick, I mean, I would literally log on and look up her name because I'm like, what, what, what can I laugh at today? Because (laughs) my husband always made me laugh. That's that, that John was my uh, connection to laughter in the universe. You know, he just made me laugh all the time. And, um, and you provided that for me. And I don't think I've ever really actually told you this, but I did. And and I know a few times I, I would introduce people to you and I'd say, oh, and she's funny. you got to follow her on social media. Um, but I don't think you really realize that sometimes you were my saving grace. It did become difficult because she started having her own trial. And I started seeing um, that laughter diminish and, and disappear for a time. And I realized that what she was going through was much larger than maybe what she was sharing online completely. And, um, and, and it was hard for me and we weren't, we were just, we knew each other through social media, through politics, through, um, she's an incredible communications director and she's given a lot of great, um, workshops and I, I attended a few. I, so I didn't, really have this personal, personal connection with her at that time. But um, it was hard to watch and it was hard to, to realize somebody else in the world is also going through this thing and to realize it really impacts us, right? It impacted you in a way that maybe you didn't, maybe weren't completely conscious of at the time. Mm-hmm. But, but for those of us who were also going through grief and also understanding um, these challenges when they hit us, we could kind of see you fall off that like it nothing's funny right now <laughs> it, that's what it seemed to the message was it's like um it's just not funny right now like the, you know it's real oh, it's real right I, now i think it's amazing that you could sense that i love that that mm-hmm. shows human connection even through technology because you mentioned while we're acquaintances, we're not, we're not close friends. It's not as if we're talking and you're not frankly, the first person that said that to me. Right. Uh, I knew I was in a dark place. I had no idea that it showed because I use humor as my um, unhealthy coping mechanism. I'm sure a doctor would say. Um, And so (laughs) that's typically the way that I managed to get through the tough times in my life, which I think frankly, Michelle is why, I create a happy space online because Mm -hmm. that for me is how 
I get out of those. But what I found interesting in what you said is grief recognizes grief. Yeah. You know, when, when we experience the most human of emotions, we become more human and we want to help those that are going through the same. And I, I love that empathetic quality that comes out in us when we have to suffer. I mean, that is one of the silver linings of grief, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's kind of the purpose of this whole podcast is I want to show that we all need each other. Part of resiliency is building your tribe and and building your support group. And, and you never know who that might be. And it may, may be someone that you wouldn't typically reach out to, or maybe someone you're intimidated to reach out to. But sometimes if, if you're aware of a similar circumstance or, or whatnot, people want to help other people. You know, um, I get referred to uh, other widowers often. Um, oh, you know, I know this widow. <laughs> She must be able to help you because I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> I will pass her on to you. And, and I know Jenny does too. And we have our, um, our little friend groups of widowers. You know, I, I think it's really important to, uh, especially this pandemic has been dreadful. It's been hard. Um, we haven't been able to connect. Even when we do connect, we're not standing near each other. We're not hugging. We're not touching. We are losing a part of our humanity through the trials that we've been through the last 18 months, whatever it is now, I've lost count. But um, I know for me, I, I was at an event this weekend and it was so amazing that uh, somebody came up and hugged me and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm being hugged. Okay, it so just... how, for, how fortuitous that I read this quote last night, I think you will appreciate this, by John Steinbeck, a sad soul can kill you quicker, far quicker than a germ. And I believe that is true. We need human touch and human connection, yeah. not only to heal, but just as part of the living experience, you know, and we have in our, we have in our hands, the capability to raise people around us with the simplest of gestures. Uh, and I hope we choose to do that more now, particularly coming out of COVID. Yeah, I hope so too. I know Jenny and I hope that for this podcast, I hope that we are touching people and that we help them figure out who their people are, uh, where that they can gain support and how to find connection. Because, you know, the the reality is you can't sit and wait for someone to come find you. You actually do have to go out and ask sometimes. Well, I think so often we're waiting for someone to reach out to us and yet we're unwilling to let them know we need to be reached out to. You <laughs> yeah. know, I, I, I joke about this. I'm probably an oversharer now in my life, but in the, it's been two and a half years since my husband was killed, three and a half years since he deployed. And, and really my life started to fall apart right when he left and just a number of things at home. I think maybe the greatest tool I've learned to pick up in that time is the ability to say, I need help. Yeah. Whether it's my stupid lawnmower that wouldn't start this weekend, so I had to ask my neighbor again to come look at it and, and fix it, or just being being real on social media or texting a friend just, just I you know, a couple of weeks ago I had such a hard time. I got to the point where I said, I quit. And I just quit today. Don't worry about me, I'm not gonna quit forever. But I gave myself permission to quit in that moment, to feel what I felt to not talk myself out of it. No, I think there's a difference between that and wallowing mm-hmm. in it and staying there, but I think sometimes we're so bent on being happy and positive and and faithful or, or whatever the word you want to use is that we don't let ourselves realize this hurts. 
this loss, this illness, this job loss, this divorce, this breakup, whatever. We could make a list of a million miles long of the hard things people are facing today in their lives. And yet being able to say, this is really hard. This is really heavy. Can I either set it down for a minute or do you think you could help me carry it? And that has been my biggest takeaway of how wrong I was about what I thought resilience was. I thought resilience was me getting stronger and stronger, which it is. I, you know, we do get stronger. We get better. We get smarter about it. But really, my, my greatest strength or any smarts I've gained on my resilience journey is realizing there is no need for me to pretend I can do it or that I have to or that I have the answers to everything, but being willing to say, hey, Michelle, hey, Nicole, isn't this terrible? Doesn't this just kind of suck sometimes? And now let's move forward. And how will we pick ourselves or pick each other up? So I appreciate you being willing to share this with us and what you mentioned about never getting better from this. or I can't remember how you worded it. I'm I'm never going to be cured of missing that person. You're never going to get over your mother's death, but you can live a happy, productive life dedicated to her honor and her memory. And I think that's so beautiful in what you've shared with us today. So thank you so much. I love oh, Thank you. I love what you shared. And, you know, we have another thing in common. My mom used to wake me up every morning and say, good morning, sunshine. <laughs> so I was, my, I was my mom's sunshine. I'm, I think my kids would smack me in the face if I woke them up and said that. <laughs> And I wanted to. And, and I wanted and if, to every single if, day. And if you knew how sassy both Michelle and I are, you would feel like only a mother would say that because I doubt we're getting that label from anybody else. And, and, and I wish Absolutely. I could. I wish I could meet your mother because she sounds like such a wonderful woman. And this connection you two have for her to have raised such a spunky, sassy daughter. I she's she's got a place in my heart, even without ever having met her. Nicole is well, great. Ladies, ladies, can I? I want to say one last thing because yeah. it's been a pleasure to yeah. talk to you. One one thing I want to say is I was listening to what you learned uh, and how you were defining resilience, Jenny. I think for me, if I wanted to say sort of one takeout from this. What I have learned or what I'm continuing to learn is too much of life is lost in the quote unquote correct living of it. I love when you share the just feeling of emotion. When it is time to feel grief, feel it and and dive into it. And then when it is your time to be ecstatic, enjoy that and, and feel everything that comes when it comes and don't expect that you have to do it a certain way. We're all just making it up as we go along. And what I'm learning more than anything now is just to live in every moment that I've been given that those I loved were not. It's a gift. It it is. And while trite, it is that. I know. On that same note, I was thinking exactly when uh, Jenny was talking about that that earlier, we kind of live in a world of like, everything's got to be so happy. We've got to be so positive. So go, go, go. So uh, live an Instagram life, a, you know, a great this, a great that, great food, great vacation, great whatever. And it seems like an unrealistic, it is actually an unrealistic expectation for anyone's life, but that's not how we actually live. It is so important to give ourselves those down days. And I know you've yeah. had a few of them recently, Jenny. And to give them to each other. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And and not and not try to fix it. I say that all the time. Just help me face it. Please stop trying to fix it because that's so annoying when you want to fix my problem that I already feel like I can't fix. So for you to show up and act like you can fix it in a second feels like <laughs> I'm a failure. Let's mm-hmm. let's face it. Let's right. just face it together and yeah. stop trying to fix everything. 
Well, and sometimes there's not a solution right? or not an immediate, a, a lot not of an immediate times, one. A lot of times there's not. I mean, particularly if you're talking about a, a disease or a death, there's there's no solution I can find that's going to bring you back. Right. But we are going to feel that sadness and it's okay. And in fact, in order for us to move forward, we have to feel that sadness. You know, I, I, I've shared a little bit about this before, but not in detail. But um, I was drinking a lot right after John passed away and um, because I didn't want to feel anything. And someone said to me, you know, Michelle, you you're going to have to feel this someday. You can choose to feel it now or you can pile up the grief and feel it later. But at some day you have to pay the price and you have to feel your feelings. And, you know, what's crazy about that is I've always been willing to do that. It's just that with this and losing John was so huge and it was something I never anticipated would happen. And, um, and, and it's true. We all have to get to that point. So Positivity is great, and it's always great to find that support, and there are going to be plenty of times to laugh and smile and move forward, but we really do have to pay that price, and it's it's really important to acknowledge that. Yeah. Nicole, thank you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for reminding us there's no one correct way to live or to grieve, to laugh or to do any of these things, but to just embrace it in the moment. Thanks for teaching us. Um, Like I said, this is... This topic, Alzheimer's, is one I think we don't talk about enough in our culture, even though most of us probably know or are connected to someone who at some point will really suffer from this. So thank you for raising that awareness and being willing to share your personal story. Thank you to our listeners for joining us today. We hope that you'll um, stay with us and, and follow this series of some Alzheimer's discussions. And as always, if you or someone you know has a real-life story about some of the real struggles you're facing, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at Relentlessly Resilient and on Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. Reach out. We'd love to share your story with our listeners as well. And remember, whatever you do, be kind. You never know the struggles others are dealing with. Thank you. Have a great day. Good to talk with you.